welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Alright, this is the last message in the series. It actually blesses my heart a little bit. I think they like me. Uh, but I can tell you that what we're going to be uh, diving off into at the beginning of the year, you're going to like it. But it was built on this. So if you didn't get the foundations of King and Kingdom, please go back through and listen to the 27, including today. I think it's 27, including today. And we will have a key to the kingdom, a key of the kingdom, made up within uh, some amount of time. If you would like to have it on USB where you can listen to it in your car while you're driving down the road so you don't have to do the YouTube or the podcast or whatever, if you want to just plug it into your car and let my voice bring deep love of God and... And just and just hear me resonate on all of six, eight, ten of your speakers. Then we'll give you a key to the kingdom. And I'll just preach and preach. Think about it. Twenty seven messages of an hour an hour and a quarter. I mean, if you listen to that straight and don't sleep and don't eat, you, you could float in here next week. And we would want to touch the hem of your garment. The core uh, verses that we used in this series this entire time is, comes out of Luke chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Jesus said, but rather seek ye, and Matthew, he said the same thing. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, the first thing that we should all be seeking the most important thing that we should all be seeking is the kingdom. And you can't seek the kingdom without seeking the king. Kingdom, by default, has definition of the king's realm or the king's reign. So you cannot do kingdom without king. He also added in Matthew 6, and his righteousness, which means... Where are you in right standing as it relates to with the king and his kingdom? It's not just knowing that there's a great kingdom. It's not even knowing that there is a king. Most people, you could walk up to the average person on the street and say, Hey, do you believe that that there's a God? Yeah. Who do you believe it is? Likely, they're going to say Jesus. And they're probably even going to know the terminology of kingdom of God. But actually being submitted to all that is a huge... There are people in this room that aren't even submitted to that. And I've been preaching my heart out for a decade. And, and I'm not picking on nobody. If you're not there, that's fine. I mean, if you, you do what you got to do. I want you to live in freedom. And if I talk you into something, that means i got to keep talking you into it. So that's not, that's not how I roll. If you, if you want to be that way, be that way. That's, that's cool with me. But 
the reality is, is that just because people hear the good news and hear about a king and hear about a kingdom doesn't mean that they're actually seeking to be in right standing with those truths. There's people that aren't even trying to be in right standing with their spouses. And they know that their spouse is more important than they are. Or they better. You better. You better come to the marriage covenant weekend. I'll teach you. Or Kay will teach you. She's way better at it. She says it's soft. I need to do that better. And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And all the sheep said, Bah. Uh, I know, like it's it is it's very contrary to society today to be called a sheep, and and I agree. If you're a sheep to the shepherd of the world, if you allow the world to shepherd you around, you you need to reject sheep. But if you understand the great shepherd and where he's trying to take you, you will completely bow yourself to him being shepherd and you being sheep. And so I get it, it's a dichotomy, but we need to embrace the fact that Jesus is the great shepherd. And where he's trying to shepherd you is green pastures, still waters, amazing places, powerful, powerful, powerful opportunities for your success and your prosperity. In verse 49 of this same chapter, you remember last time that I ministered on this, I ministered on some of the verses that were right under what Jesus specifically said in our core verses, and so I'm going to finish up. And literally, like I had to work up to this. I even argued with the Lord about not doing this. I'm being, I'm just being transparent in front of you. That I honestly argued with the Lord about doing this, because this is going to be one of those messages that if you don't understand the tension, you are going to be thrown into a ditch, and you're going to stay in that ditch, and you're going to blame me for going into the ditch. So I am telling you right now, the preface of what we're about to do today, that you better have a good revelation and understanding of the tension of the truths that are going to be enumerated for you today. Because you are not going to blame me when you can't get this sorted in your heart in a right way. I'm going to tell you what the truth is. I'm going to tell you what the center of the road is. And then you're going to have to determine to take your vehicle and make sure you stay in the middle. Because there's a ditch on both sides of these. And if you drive your car in a ditch, you won't have a car very long. Verse 49. See my preface? I am come to send fire on the earth. This is why you can't say some of these things soft like K. I mean, could you imagine? I've come to send fire. I have come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? Now, that's King Jamesy. In the BSB version, uh, it says, I have come to ignite a fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. The Lord is saying that he literally was like the tip of the spear to, to make all this stuff happen. And he, he's saying, I wish that I didn't have to come and do that. I wish that this fire was already burning and then I could just come and stoke it or throw fuel on it. 
but it's not. So not only did Jesus have to come and bring the fire, start the fire, but he's also the one that has to fuel the fire. Now, he's all in all, he's cool with it, but what he's saying here is that I really wish that I didn't have to do all these parts because I want my people to be already active and on fire with these truths and then just let me come along and add some fuel and flame. Verse 50. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's talking about the cross, which is the epitome of persecution. Are you following me? That's his baptism. He's going to be baptized into the cross. He's going to be baptized into death. He's going to be baptized into persecution in a way that none of us have an understanding of. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened until it be accomplished? The scriptures say that he had his face set like a flint, that he was headed right towards the destiny that he had. How many of you, if you knew that your des- that 2022 is going to be uh, 10 times more persecution, 10 times more struggle, 10 times more uh, required of you to, to knuckle down, you're going to have half as much food, half as much sleep, half as much money... Ha- If you knew that going into 2022, you would not set your face like a flint. You'd be hanging on to 2021 by, please don't let. Jesus knew exactly what he was headed into and set his face like a flint. That's a man. That is a man of God that all of us need to embrace. How am I straightened until it's accomplished? Suppose ye that I have come to give peace on earth. Amen. Because we're going into Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Woo! Joy to the world. It's good. And we sang that song. I'm not picking on... Okay. There's a, there's a balance here. The peace that he's bringing on earth is peace in him. But he didn't come to bring peace. Jesus didn't show up in a manger and everybody just said, You know what? I just don't feel like hitting anybody anymore. I'm going to lay down my sword. I'm just done. I just feel like I I feel gooey on the inside because I think there's a baby way over yonder. Did you see the star? I just feel warm inside. (laughs) That's not what he did. He didn't come to bring that kind of peace. When Jesus showed up, the war took a second layer. It was just being warred out in the heavens. And then Jesus came to the earth. He actually brought a war to the earth. How dare him? Why did he bring a war to the earth? So he could win it all the way from hell to heaven. He filled all in all is what it says in Ephesians 5. He went to the lowest lows to the highest highs so that he could fill the entire thing with victory. So he had to bring the war here so he could win it here. So you could win it here. Suppose you that I've come to bring peace on earth? I tell you, no. But rather division. <gasps> Jesus, don't you know division is wrong? I guess not. Verse 52, For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided. Three against two. Two against three. Jesus did that. He did that. Yeah, if you think that everybody in your house is all lovey-dovey and, and patting each other on the head and, you know, sharing Christmas presents and, and everything is cool, and it doesn't have something to do with the kingdom, then it's false. 
Peace is not the absence of conflict. Sometimes peace is conflict. Verse 53, the father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. That's not so shocking. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Matthew 10, Jesus said the same thing. Verse 34, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace but a concealed carried weapon. That's what a sword is. Concealed carry weapon. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father. You know, Jesus said this. If you have a real Bible, it's in red. These are his words. I'm reading his words. He said, I have come. How many people are like, no, what did Jesus come for? Well, to love the world. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. True! What else did He come for? Well, bring a sword, cut people up. What's wrong? You must go to that cult, beloved. (laughs) Yeah, I do, by the way. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the... Oh, uh, is this... Yeah. Oh, verse 34. Think not that I have come to send peace on earth. I have not come to send peace, but a sword... He sent a sword. What was his name? Jesus. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Anybody ever been to Thanksgiving? (laughs) I have. I'm going to, I want to show you. This is one of those, uh, this is one of those truths that you gotta get this by revelation. You are not gonna get this because I'm teaching it. You are only gonna get this by revelation. If you're just gonna try to get this cognitively, you're gonna go out of here and you're gonna be irritated at me. But if you get this by revelation, if you allow the Holy Spirit to seed this into your heart, this is gonna be really, really, really valuable to you. When I came to the Lord, I stopped being a castle. And I became of the family of God. This is my mother biologically. This is my mother by physical DNA. Deoxyribose nucleic acid. But my parents, my actual real parents, are Father God and the Holy Spirit who gave me a DNA, divine nature awareness, that is greater than deoxyribose nucleic acid. And if you ask my mother, she will let you know that when we talk, there are times that I'm talking to her as my sister, there's times she's talking to me as her brother, and there's times that I'm talking to her as my natural mommy. Kay is somebody who does this really, really well. She knows when she's um, interacting with me as pastor, I know that that's messing with a bunch of you. Your wife knows that you're a pastor? Yep. She's a ton more uh, spiritually healthy than a lot of this room. She also knows when I'm husband. She knows when I'm brother. She knows when I'm protector. She knows when I am uh, co-submitted to her. 
she knows how to how to wear that hat and kind of put that on, take that off in conversations. There's conversations that we've had to where she's heard me as pastor, then she's heard me as brother, then she's heard me as husband, and then she's heard me as jokester, and she ignored it. And did all that in the same conversation. And if you don't understand that your heritage is there more than it's here, then you're going to make this more important than that. And you're going to lose that because you're valuing this. And it usually comes at this family thing. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And of the household of God. So what's your last name? What's your surname? The same thing your father has. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 says, For this cause, this is Paul praying, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in earth and heaven are named. You think your name is Stacy Castle. That's not what heaven says. Heaven has a new name. If you don't believe me, read Revelations, where God eventually at one point will give you a white rock, and on that white rock will be your name that he's been calling you since the day you were created. And you didn't even know it. He has a name that's specifically yours. This is covenant language. Kay Borgman has died. Kay Borgman died at the altar on June 18th, 1995. And birthed at that altar was Kay Castle. There is no Kay Borgman. She ceases to exist. There's no record of her in heaven. There is a blood covenant where God took the nature of Kay and the nature of Steve, and he formed something that never existed before. It was called a K-Steve. And it's the same thing with us when we come to him. When you get in a covenant and you're born again of him, you take all of your heritage and it dies and goes into a grave. That's what water baptism represents, is that whoever you were before went into a grave. And what came out was something that was divinely intertwined between you and heaven. The nature of you and the nature of God became one. One flesh. Knitted together for eternity. You got a new name. You got a new character, you got a new nature, you got a new purpose, you got a new life. You got a new father. For some of you, that's a whoop whoop. You got a new family. Uh huh. We're about to go there. First Samuel, chapter two. I know it's the Old Testament. I'm going to read it in the ESV. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. a good way to start, right? Uh, I I do want to highlight men, grown-ups. And worthless 
uh, this is, in the King James it says Belial, which literally means that they have the nature of Satan. Uh, your worth and your value is based upon divine things. If you think you have worth and value outside of divine things, you are deceived. If you think your college degree paper means more than your pedigree in your father. Paul says that his college degree paper was like a big cow pie. I'm paraphrasing. He called it dung, which in Greek, he, it would have been a different word that I'm not going to use at the pulpit. That's how much he valued all of his natural pedigree, all of the natural accomplishments. And just so you know, if you think that you're a well-educated, uh, well-trained, well, Paul had you beat hands down, eyes closed on one leg. He was literally probably one of the most educated people on the planet. And he said he counted all of that but dung for the knowledge of the excellency of Christ Jesus his Lord. He recognized his spiritual value above his natural value. So when the Bible says that these two guys were worthless, it was implicating their lack of embracing their divine nature. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. And then it says why? They did not know the Lord. Man. If you want to be valuable, this verse right here would be a great leading opportunity for you in your heart and your life. If you want to have great value, know the Lord. Verse 13, the customs of the priests with the people was that when the, any man offered sacrifice, the priest servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, and all that the fork brought up for the priest, he would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if that man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish. He would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. I know a bunch of you are like, what the heck? Okay. They're offering, they didn't have money. So their offerings when they went to church or went to the man of God was in this specific uh, instance was meat, which makes sense. How else am I going to eat? Unless people come and offer me meat because there's no money to go to the grocery store. And so what this is highlighting was that these priests, these two worthless priests, sons of Eli, were doing it wrong. They were doing the sacrifices wrong. They were taking more than belonged to them. They were taking it out of the order that God intended for it to be. It was supposed to go to God first and then to the priests. Those of you that understand, if you gave money, if you gave anything to beloved church, you need to recognize that it goes to God first and then beloved uses it. If your offering that you gave at church today was to beloved church, you need to repent because it's supposed to go to God and then we are the ones that use it. So you're not giving to beloved church, you're giving to God. 
And then God is giving us permission to steward over what belongs to him. Amen. They were doing the opposite. They're like, hey, gimme, gimme, gimme. And if you don't give it to me, I'll come and take it. This is like the preachers that I've heard that says, uh, hey, you better pay your tithe or God will take it out in doctor bills. I know another uh, minister who says, you better pay your tithe or you're not going to be accepted by God and you need to bring your tax returns at the end of the year to me verify that what you brought to the church was actually right. Yeah, all of you that are all, yeah, that actually happens. People are that way. I don't even know who in here gives. I know we give. I know Kay and I give. As far as I know, that's the only people in the room that I know give. Because I don't want to, I don't ever want to minister. I don't ever want to look around the crowd and say, well, you give and you don't. And you're lovely and you're terrible. I don't, so I don't have a clue who gives in here. And it is freeing for me. So I just minister to all of you like you are all incredibly generous people. And so I can let my heart go all the way in. Amen. And so I'm not going to be dragging money out of you. If I ever talk about money and you get convicted, well, pastor's picking on me because I ain't giving. No, you're self-centered. Because I'm not thinking about you. Because I don't know who gives. And so if I'm saying you need to be generous because that's part of what the kingdom of God is. And you're getting mad at me because you think I'm picking on you. What you need to do is you get mad at God because he's convicting you. Oh boy. Verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. You know, one of the reasons that I have been very, very adamant about staying as far away from the money part of people's animosity towards the things of God, the things of the kingdom, is this right here. Of all the things that I'll be accused of, no one will ever accuse me of anything money. Ever. Ever. Because I ain't asked nobody for nothing. And Kay and I, there's times that Kay and I went hungry. And nobody knew about it. Our family, our daughter, our son, they sacrificed because I would not ask for money. Because I trusted that my father would take care of me, and my father always took care of me. So there will never be anybody that shows up on Judgment Day and say, well, Steve was jacking us for money. Not this church. Amen. This is one of the reasons. The sin of the young man was very great. Okay, when the Bible says that a sin is very great, Okay, there's sin, which sends you to hell, lake of fire, burn forever. And this one says, very great. You you know, I may not be a smart man. But if this Bible says that a sin is very great, I'm staying away from it. So these two priests were jacking folks for money. and, And God said, that's very great. And look why. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They didn't value. I know that there are people in here that sacrificially give. I hate to name names, but I know there are people in here that give sacrificially. I'll say it tonight because there's not a recording. But there are... And for me to do something, you know, when I, even our paychecks, and I know I probably shouldn't have all this thought process going on in me, but I don't go use my money on just, I don't blow my stuff. Because I know where my money came from. You guys wrote me a paycheck. 
that came from the sacrificial offerings of some of the people in this room. There are people in this room that live on less than a hundred bucks a month, and they're still giving. You're not going to find me at some casino blowing a thousand dollars on casino balls or whatever they're called. You're not going to see me. And I, and I know that this is probably messing with some of you with prosperity and all that kind of stuff, but I just, I know where it came from and I know who, who does it. And I, I'm not going to devalue that. I'm not going to treat what God gives with contempt. That also includes you. God gave me you. And you could love me, you could hate me. And I am not going to be contemptible to you. You could value me, you could honor me, you could want my words, or you could urinate on all of it. And I'm still not going to allow my heart to get into contempt because it is very great in the sight of the Lord and it misses the mark. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and he kept hearing, he kept hearing, he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. If you guys think that preachers having problems with women and money are a new thing since TV preachers, <laughs> you ain't read the Bible. You know what you probably should do? You should read the Bible through in a year and you'd see some stuff. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Okay, if the whole church called Ryan, Pastor Ryan, and said, You know, Steve, I'm not even going to say stuff, but he does terrible stuff. And Ryan's like, Well, you know, Steve is how Steve is. It's just, just the way he is. These were, okay, you follow me. These are, Ryan would rebuke me in a heartbeat. And I'm saying that for real. Ryan and I, Ryan is one of the most incredible people on the planet. And I am honored to call him a brother. And I submit to him. If he feels like something's wrong, he tells me. The reason that Eli did not hold his two sons accountable for doing right is because they were his sons. This is wheels off in today's society. Wheels off. Where you allow children to live in your home and do the most contemptible, detestable, evil, wicked things. And you justify it because you say, they're my kids. What if it was my kid? What if... What if my son moved into your house and did the exact same things that your kids do, what would you do? You'd beat his tailbone all over the backyard. Rightfully, and I'd stand there and, and take a video. That's right, get him again! <laughs> but it's your kid. I don't know if you recognize this, but one of the things that goes there is self-centeredness. My kid. My kid. If it was some other kid, you'd deal with it. 
If you were a manager at work and somebody did one-tenth of what they did wrong, as somebody who worked for you, you'd fire their sorry butt twice on Tuesday. But it's your kid belongs to you. It's self-centeredness. It's selfishness. It's what Eli was doing. Well, they're my sons. You know what he's thinking? What if I take them out of the priesthood? What if I fire them from the priesthood? Then what? I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the end of the story is the two kids die. You know what's better than dying? Getting kicked out of the priesthood. That would have been better. But because he held on to it, he didn't actually deal with the problems. He didn't deal because it was his family. It was his heritage. It was his last name. Those are my kids. Your kids are terrible. Yeah, but they're my kids. Amen. And all the people were telling him. They were the priests. And I know you're thinking, well, my kids aren't priests. Are they born again? According to the Bible, if they're born again, they're a royal priesthood. Oh boy, love that one. I'll just stay focused right here. Where am I at? 24. No, my sons, it is not good. It is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, check this out. This is powerful. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? This is why... Man, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just read this. But they would not listen to the voice of their father... For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And that sounds terrible, like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with God? Bad day. No, God wanted to hold them accountable for what they were doing. Eli, okay, man, this is, this is way deeper than I have time to unravel all this. You know, sometimes you are more merciful than God. Sometimes you are kinder than God. Sometimes you are more loving than God. Which means you're not. God wants people held accountable for their actions. Now, obviously, He wants them held accountable for their actions and filtered through the cross so that Jesus becomes their judgment. But He wants people to live a life that is lived right. Righteousness. And if a person makes terrible, terrible decisions and it causes great damage in their life, God doesn't cry about that and hell, oh my, I can't, I'm terrible. I just, why did that happen? Oh, that's right. God is not deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And he that sows to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. And he that sows to the spirit shall the spirit reap life everlasting. God invented that system. He says, if you do terrible things, you're going to reap terrible things. So you know what he says? Don't do terrible things. Read your Bible, you won't know it's terrible. But when that recompense happens in people's lives, God's not like, oh gosh, I wish there wasn't such a rule that says when you do terrible stuff, you're going to reap terrible stuff. 
No, God doesn't say, he says, that's exactly what you sowed to. What this is saying is that the Lord, they had already gone past the place in their heart where they were going to reconcile their own lives and so God was going to hold them accountable. The same thing happened with Herod. The same thing happened with uh, Pilate in, uh, in the book of Acts or in Herod in the book of Acts and with Pharaoh in the book of Exodus when Pharaoh's first his heart was hardened and then God hardened his heart. First he hardened his heart and then God held him accountable for a hardened heart. This is the exact same thing that was happening in this verse. These two kids were like, hey, 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 hey. We're having all the sex we want with the people that come to the temple. We got all the money we want because we're, sk- we're skimming off the top. What's the problem, Dad? You're just old-fashioned. You should be more progressive like us and understand this is the way you live life. The Lord said, all right, severed. You're going to live that way? Severed. Amen. We love to hear about justice. But we don't love to hear about it when it happens to us or our family. And there came, verse 27, there came a man of God to Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. This is God saying, I'm the one that set you here, Eli. I did all of this. I went, I worked through Aaron. I worked through the Exodus. I made your family lineage to be the priests. And this is what you're doing to pay me back for that? There's a lot of applications to this, but one of the ones that hits my head is that I think about all the time what God did to bring to my life somebody as amazing as Kay. And for me to mistreat her for one second, I would hate to stand in front of her father and say, this is what I did to your daughter. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn ancestors, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Those of you that remember my stepfather... Uh, Jim, who I called my father, this was one of his life verses. God came to him and he said, if you will honor me, I will honor you. And my, those of you that knew him, knew him well, he was a man of honor. And I, I believe that that's one of the heritages that I got from him. Is understanding honor that most of my generation does not. And it came from this. And as a man of the cloth, 
a man of the pulpit and a son of James, there, I have a, I have a, um, a revelation of honor that I get it that most people don't. But this is where it comes from. God says, if you'll, to the degree that you honor me, I'll honor you back. This is why a lot of people don't have any honor in their lives. Well, if my husband treated me better, I would da 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 da. Are you honoring him? Well, no, because he's a jerk. If you would honor God, there'd be a way that you would deal with your children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. You would honor your boss. If you're working there because God sent you there. <laughs> you see how quiet? Don't like that. <clears throat> Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of man. And this that thou shall come unto your two sons. Hophni and Phinehas, that was the name of the two kids the terrible kids, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. 1 Samuel 3.13 And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. I I hope there's some gravity on this. I'm not just picking on the people that got whatever with your kids. That's not the point here. The point that I want you to, to see here is that God wants you to embrace the family of God. And we should be holding each other accountable. And I think it's radical how quick somebody in a church setting is going to judge or condemn someone that they sit in church with. And then they go home and either they or themselves or their kids or whatever are doing something ten times worse and they just let her go. Quick to judge these people. Quick to condemn a Christian. And then you allow the same things to happen at your house. Let me move on. Verse 14. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. There is a point. You know, God is long-suffering. And He is not forever suffering. If you know that God is dealing with your heart to correct something. And your next thought is, well, 
you know, he'll keep, he, he'll forgive me. He'll keep forgiving me. He loves me anyway. The grace of God. That may be true. The grace of God is available to you. And where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And love covers a multitude of sins. But if you continue down that road and you allow your heart to be hardened and calloused to God over and over and over and over, at some point you turn it to stone. The end of the story in Samuel, if you read First uh, Samuel chapter 4, Israel, in fact some of you might even remember this story, Israel is at war uh, with the... Um, the ites, and uh, they lost. And so they're like, oh my gosh, how dare us? We're like the people of God. What the heck? And so they go get the altar, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Because that magic wand will always make them win. And so then they bring the Ark of Covenant, and they're like, woohoo, we got the Ark. That's right. Take that, Philistine jerks. And they screamed, and all the Philistines were like, man, what happened? Well, they got the Ark. Ah, they got their God. We've heard about this God. He's the God that wrecked Pharaoh. They literally said that. The Philistines said that. Like, ah, oh, they got their God back. <laughs> the same one that Jack Farrell. And so they're like, oh. And so it was, it's, it's one of those places in scriptures that just really messes with you. So the, the Philistines work themselves up and they, and they literally have like a, a go to war, uh, like a brave heart, you know, George Wallace speech, and they're like, be like men and go to fight them. And they're like, but they have a God. Yeah, but still fight hard, and who knows what will happen. And they win. They beat, they kill thousands of them and take the ark. And so they go back, and while all that happens, Phineas and uh, Hophni, Hophni and Phineas were guarding the ark because they were the priests. But they were dirty priests. So while they were guarding the ark, guess what happened to them? Dad, same day, same moment, died. The ark gets taken. It goes back to, uh, to with all the evil guys. And if you remember, this is when their statue fell down and bowed before the ark. And then they all ended up with boils on their stuff. Those of you that have never read the Bible, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. We got boils on our... It says it different in the King James, but it's not a good feeling. And so they're like, man, this ark sucks. And so they send it back to Israel. They're like, please, get rid of it. But anyway, when, when Hophni and Phineas, Phineas died and the ark got taken, there was a guy that fled the war, and he went back, and he told Eli, who's an old guy, he's 89 years old, and he's an old guy, and he's kind of blind, and he's fat. The Bible says that he was a large man. And he was sitting in a chair at the house, and he was waiting to hear the news about the war, because now they got the ark, right? They got the magic ark. And so they can't lose. This is like a lot of Christians. But I'm a Christian, I can't lose. Really? If you're doing stupid stuff. So he's sitting there in the chair and his kid runs in. He's like, oh, we lost them. It's terrible. And your two sons, they died and they took the ark. And Eli's like, and he falls over. And because he's a fat guy, he breaks his neck. It's a good reason to go on a diet. If you're going to tip over in your chair and break your neck and die, you might want to consider. Anyway, let me move on. The 
the end result of Eli protecting his children over protecting his honor for God and the things of God caused this massive amount of destruction. There was 40,000 Israelites that died. There was another nation that was terrorized. The ark looked like a... It made God look terrible. It cost Eli his two sons and eventually cost Eli his life. You know, Jesus had it figured out. Man. Jesus had it figured out. When his mother was in unity with the kingdom and the truths that his father had, there was incredible things that he did for his mother. He literally started his ministry early because of his love and his honor for his mother. The first miracle he ever did was changing water into wine because his mother asked him to do. But when his mother operated outside of the kingdom, and his mother and his brothers came to him, and they wanted him to stop his meeting so they could come and talk to him, and they got special treatment because they were family, they said, hey, your mother's outside, she wants to talk to you. And he said, who is my mother? Who are my brethren? They're right here. This is your family. I know this is messing with you. And I know this is the kind of stuff that people are going to take and they're going to throw everything in a ditch because you're going to hear this. But if this family is not at least equally as important as somebody who has your DNA, then you have not even begun to understand 26 messages about king and kingdom. And I'm not saying this to anybody because I think you're mean to the family or anything. I know that people love me and have done incredible things to me. And I can say this now because the time passed. I had my birthday on Monday. And if I was to design my perfect birthday, let me tell you what happened. And I tried to get out of it. All those people in this room know that I hate my birthday and I hate it when people celebrate because it's usually plastic and it's fake. And they're like, hey, happy birthday. Whatever. You don't even know what year I was born. So... If I was to design my perfect birthday, here's what it would look like. I'd wake up when I wake up. That by itself is awesome. Which I did on Monday. Woke up when I woke up. Me and my wife, my bride, went for a walk and talked for an hour and a half. And then went to my office and studied the scriptures, hung out with Jesus for a while, did the thing and stuff. And then went to a political rally. I know some of you are thinking like, no, that's like your funeral day. I'm like, for me, it's a holiday. <laughs> Got to talk to a future governor and put some people into shape and I rebuked a couple of them and it was all good. Came back, met all my rugged mates, went off to Chicago, did rugged, a bunch of the beloved people were there. Me and my wife got to minister together. And then ate breakfast at 1 a.m. Talk about a birthday, y'all. Beloved, rugged, political stuff, hanging out with my wife, hanging out with Jesus. I was like, woo-hoo-hoo. And some of my family didn't even happy birthday me. But some of my family did. Guess which ones I consider more family. I don't want to drill too deep on this because I'm out of time already. But I can tell you, it says in Proverbs 17:17 17, 17, that a brother 
is born for an adversity. And I have brothers in this room that are 10,000 times more my brothers than just people that were born of my mother's womb. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you haven't allowed the king and his kingdom to work into your life the way it should. This is why, to me, it's such a, it's such a radical concept that people can just hop a church and jump a church and go from place to place and, and get into people's lives and then just tear themselves back out. Like, I can't do that. Ryan is my brother. I will die for Ryan, and he would die for me. Bob would die for me and I would die for him in a second. It wouldn't even be a thought. And I'm not, and if I didn't say your name or if I, uh, that's not the point. The point is, the people that are, that are in your life that are for adversity, God put them there and He calls them brothers. And if you don't have that, it's lonely. It's lonely. And you can have that here. Am I saying everybody here can be that way? No, because some of these folks got some issues. <laughs> but so do you. God wants this to be a family where we actually want to be together on Thanksgiving. And we talk about politics and not want to kill each other. And we can experience great things together. This is the family that God intended for you to be a part of. Does it completely usurp all of your... This is one... I'm telling you, if you don't get this, it's going to be ditch to ditch. The center of the road is what God has done to create a family for you is way greater than anything else. And if you don't honor it, then you're going to lose the benefit of it. And this isn't a commercial for Beloved Church. I'm just saying that God has a family that's greater than your blood. That's why Jesus' first miracle was water into wine. Wine is like blood. Water of the blood of the womb is lower than the blood that you get together in a covenant. That's why the old saying is blood is thicker than water. If you've ever heard the saying blood is thicker than water, it means the blood of covenant is thicker than the blood of the womb. Your covenant family is more family than your womb family. That's what that statement means. And it came from the kingdom. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.